So uh, last week's lesson about uh, being thankful in hard times, we went to Habakkuk and we talked about that. First of all, I, I want to thank so many people uh, in uh, almost 13 years here. I don't think I've ever had such uh, amount or positive feedback from a lesson uh, as last week, and I, and I appreciate that. And it also, though, just dawned on me as, as Patty was sharing, that that really exemplifies thankfulness in a very hard situation. And, uh, and, and seeing God and, and even uh, leaning on God and, and many around. And Kathy usually joins us on Sunday via uh, the online service. And I don't know if she's watching now. If she is, amen. Uh, and and uh, that's it. But she's honestly kind of been a part of our digital church family for many, many months. Uh, and uh, it's just great. Now, we're going to continue on with this theme, but a little more focused this morning. We're going to talk about hard times, but we're going to talk specifically about hard times that is caused because of your faith. Hard times that come as a result of being a disciple of Jesus. And also because it's December 1st, uh, Josh and I and the different lessons uh, you know, throughout the month of December are going to be focusing in on Christmas. We're going to, we're going to take kind of a nativity Christmas focus this morning. Uh, even as we talk about this subject, and then we're going to have other aspects of, of the Nativity story until we reach December 22nd for our Christmas service, which, Lord willing, and uh, the practices happen and everything will be actually put on by our children's ministry and the children from downstairs. It'll be a very special time on December 22nd. But right now I want to talk about handling hard times that come about because of your faith. And one of the incredible examples of that is Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, if you look in Luke chapter 1, we begin with this story. And I got the picture there of Mary on the half shell, which is what we called her in New England. And, <clears throat> and this literally came from, if you're in New England and you're Italian, you got one of these in your yard. And Leavenos can back me up on this. That's, that's the reality of life if you live in New England. It was the fact that I was looking for pictures of Mary, and they were all, well, you know how they are. And so I thought I'd throw her up there like that. Okay, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of greeting that might be. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How can this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. And the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. When Elizabeth, your relative is going, even Elizabeth, your relative is going to have a child in her own age. So uh, she who is said to be unable to conceive, she's already in her sixth month. For no word from God is going to ever fail. In verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered, 
May your word be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Now Mary was a special person, and she was chosen for a special task. And you're going to see at this picture, Mary's special, but Mary's not divine. Now in a recent publication, uh, it was reported that there was a, a petition, a movement of a petition going out to petition the Pope to make Mary or to to declare Mary the, and I quote, co-redeemer, mediator of all graces, and advocate for the people to God. And the fact is, Mary was special, but she has no place in our redemption. Okay, our forgiveness comes from Jesus. And even as I saw this picture, as as, as Mary goes up there, even with Jesus, we've got to understand, she's a special person, but she's not Jesus. And we can't Give what is solely and only Jesus's to anybody else. Okay, so, but she was very, very special. I mean, imagine her situation. Almost every scholar that we talk to or read about or whatever puts her at a young teen age when this happens. And imagine this going on. I mean, she's, she's engaged to be married. She's got the wedding shower, you know, and people are fired up and, and excited Uh, All of her friends are gathering around and they're talking about dreams and hopes and they're giggling and laughing because, you know, they're young teens and they're all excited about this thing. And I understand this a little bit now. Uh, Over this Thanksgiving holiday, my son and his now fiance came to visit and we're talking about marriage plans and then Phyllis and and my daughter-in-law, Christy and Carolina, they they went out dress shopping and they FaceTimed her mother in from Peru and they FaceTime uh, our, our daughter in from Colombia and Carolina's sister, wherever she is. I don't know where she is. She's Peru as well. And uh, she said yes to the dress. I mean, they were all just, and they were crying and oh. And I think about Mary, you know. I mean, this is her time in life and, and this is awesome. And Mary is, everything is right with the world. And then all of a sudden, overnight, Everything takes a dramatic turn for the worse. Everything turns and what was a time of great joy and dreams and happiness becomes a time of pain and hurt and rejection and loneliness and accusation and shame. Now she's totally innocent, but who's going to believe her, right? I've often thought it would have been easier on Mary if she had been immoral Because she could have said, guys, it was just this heat of passion thing. It was a mistake. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I'm repenting. And we can all understand we've all been in these situations to where we do things we we know we don't want to do, but we find ourselves doing them. And and her community could have gathered around her, and and they could have gotten past it. But she said, no, I'm innocent. I, I, I really, this is from God. And so nobody believes her. Even her fiancé, it took divine intervention for him to believe her. It took another angel coming to him to convince him. And I think about poor Mary. For the rest of her life, this would follow her. I mean, maybe when Jesus finally, as an adult, rose from the dead, some people went, now I get it. He never was Joseph's son. He really always was the son of God. 
But there were people who still didn't believe it then. This would follow her for the rest of her life. See, sometimes standing up for God, standing up for what we know to be right, what we know to be true, can be a very difficult thing. But that's very, very seldom ever spoken of in the Christian churches. We always talk about the blessings of the Lord. We talk about the good things of the Lord, the great things and how life is going to be wonderful and awesome. But Jesus himself often talked about the hard times that were coming. He would say, when the guys came and, you know, Peter and John said, oh, we want to love, we love you, Lord, we're going to serve with you, we're going to be with you. He says, okay, can you drink the cup I'm about to drink? He would say, you want to go to heaven, that's great, but if you're rich, it's, it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for you to go to heaven. He would say, count the cost, guys. Do you really want this? Birds have nests. Foxes have holes. I don't even have anywhere to lay my head. You want to follow me? At one time, he flat out came out and said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Doesn't sound like a good sales pitch to me. In Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, he's just getting started with his ministry. He says in verse 11... Blessed are you when people insult you, when they persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. It's in the same way that they persecute the prophet, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And this happens sometimes. You try to do what's right, you try to be godly. You try to help people, maybe. You try to do the right thing and say the right thing, and then people turn on you. And they judge you. It says here they insult you. They persecute you, and then they falsely say all kinds. They tell other people about it, too. They start spreading the rumors. And you're going, doggone. I guess it's true. No good deed goes unpunished. Can you imagine poor Mary? The angel came. I'm doing the right thing and nothing's going right. It's hard. Man, it's easy to want to leave. Now, for some, Christianity is not hard. It's not that difficult because people don't, we don't really stand for anything. And we don't really stand out in any way. So it's pretty easy. Now, if I'm not getting the persecution, and Jesus said you're going to, but if I'm not, well, there's one of two options. Okay, number one is the world around us has become so godly and righteous that when I'm godly and righteous, I just fit right in. There's no persecution. Or number two is maybe I'm not really standing out and being godly and righteous in the face of the world. Many years ago, this was back in the Stone Ages when Phyllis and I first started the ministry. When we had a Bible talk, Bible study group, and uh, we had ladies' Bible study. It happened like on Tuesday mornings or something. And uh, I remember one of the ladies in the group, Jeannie Brock, still remember her. And we were talking about this type of thing, and she goes, I've been a Christian for like 30, 40 years or whatever. I've never been persecuted. What does that mean? That's a great question. See, this is where it gets down for you and I. What does this mean? Have I been persecuted? 
Or when was the last time I felt this? And if I haven't, and Jesus said I'm going to, but I haven't, what might that mean? There's, well, everybody else is so righteous, or maybe something else. It dawns on me Mary had two things going for her, okay? She was available, and she was willing. Those are some things that Mary had. Well, she could have said no. A lot of people that God called said no initially. A lot of people, you know, God, Moses, the great Moses said no initially. God would eventually change their minds. Uh, he struck Moses with leprosy. That kind of got his attention. Yeah. Um, you know, Jonah, we, we, we know that story, you know, God eventually, Jonah said no, God eventually convinced him. But the point is, it's better to avoid, a lot of it, Mary could have said, uh-uh, are you kidding me? Because Mary's not stupid. She could play this out in her mind. I'm pregnant, but I'm not married. I've never had sex. This has never, ever happened in the history of mankind or womankind ain't nobody going to believe me this is not going to be easy she was available she was there and she was willing to move beyond her fear into obedience and that willingness that's the one that's the one that gets us now it's it's hard to bear up against that persecution like Mary did, but we got to ask ourselves in these situations, am I available and am I willing? Now, for the most of us, for most situations, yes, we're available. Not all, and we'll talk about some of those in a second, but in almost all situations, if you're there, <laughs> you're available. <laughs> the big question for us is, am I willing? Now, sometimes we count the cost, I think, too much. We count the cost and talk ourselves out of standing up for God or following God's ministry or following God's word. We count the cost and realize that's a high price. No thanks. Mary could have done that, but she didn't. She stepped on up. Now, my struggle is this, and here, let's just bring this into today. When I take a public stand, then it becomes not just my reputation now. It's the whole church reputation. Therefore, it becomes your reputation because you're a member of this church. And so sometimes I think back and think too much on not just how this is affect me, but this is going to affect everybody. And what is everybody going to say? And I have to wrestle with some of those things. I've been invited to join many ministers' groups, alliances, etc., which virtually all of them are focused on various political or social issues. It's not necessarily ministers who want to get together and become more spiritual or who want to pray together or to be together. It's, you know, let's get together and, and deal with gun control or let's get together and deal with racism or let's get together and deal with sexism or let's get and, and these political groups and you know part of me goes well okay you know should i join these groups and i think well i look at jesus 
Jesus could have very easily gone with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the chief priests and the teachers of the law and stood up against incredible social injustice. Let the theology alone. That's what we disagree on. But we agree on this stuff. Everybody, did, Nobody liked Rome, okay? Nobody liked what was going on socially. He could have got with those guys and stood up against the injustices that were going on, but his tact was no. We're going to deal with individuals, we're going to deal with hearts, and we're going to change hearts one at a time, and that's how we're going to change the world. So, for what better or worse, I've made that decision of my approach. Now, I get criticism for this, for doing it, and for not doing it. By the way, it is, because they can't make everybody happy. Now, some things, though, some things you stand up for socially or whatever, it's easy to be honest with you. You really think some issues... In our community, it's getting easier and easier and easier. You stand up for racial equality, you're not going to gender a lot of criticism. People are going to go, well, yeah, absolutely. Or if you stand up for uh, the, the sexual equality, not a lot of people are going to criticize you for that. That one's pretty easy to stand up for, too. Standing up against mass murder, that's a pretty easy one. Okay? Uh, You know, there was another shooting last night down in in Louisiana. Thankfully, in that one, I think 10 people were shot, but nobody was killed. But, you know, part of me goes, do I really need to stand up and say that's wrong? You know, I mean, pretty much we all agree, right? That was, that's bad. But those things are easy to stand up for or to stand against. Some things in our culture... It's harder to stand up for. Okay? Like, for instance, godly sexual morality. Harder to stand up for that one. It's harder to say, you know what? Homosexuality is not a God-acceptable lifestyle. Now, I can still treat the gay community with respect and courtesy and even friendship. But I can't say this is okay with God. The Bible says it's okay. I can't do that. But you take that stand and you get labeled. You get called names. You get abuse heaped upon you. Just like Jesus was saying. And so we kind of tend to be quiet about it. Mm Kind of tend to hold back on that. And the same thing is true about Any sexual activity outside of the covenant of marriage, be it before or after marriage, with someone you're not married to. This is the same sin. And again, it it doesn't matter. You know, we we make excuses. There's, There's all these loopholes. Well, we're really in love. We're in a committed relationship. Let me tell you something. Miss Phyllis and I tried all those excuses back when we were 16 and 17. Didn't work back then. It doesn't work now. It doesn't matter these things. It doesn't even matter if the local evangelical church says it's okay. Phyllis and I have studied with couples who are living together, scheduled to be married in nine or ten months. And they eventually left and said, no, we don't want to study with the Bible with you. We're not coming to your church. We're going over here because it's okay with them that we're living together. But we would bring it up when we would talk about sin and righteousness. He said, well, this church says it's okay. 
Some of the reasons why it's so hard to stand up for godly morality is not everybody who calls himself a Christian stands up for godly morality. Other things, godly ethics, sometimes they're not as easy to stand up for. You know, lying is on a sliding scale. How big is the lie? Starting with the little ones like Santa Claus. And then the big ones, you know. But <laughs> Or even unwholesome talk. And different things such as that. Now, all of us are available for all of those things. The question is, are we willing? And sometimes it's, it's tough. Now, there are other things that we're not necessarily all available for, like something like a, a mission from God to go and to do. Being, you know, I, I'm not, but sometimes some of us are available. And the question is, are we willing? You know, we've announced next year we're going to plant a church in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Some are available. But are we willing to say, it's like covered with snow right now, right? And it's probably going to be that way for the next two or three months. <laughs> Do I really want to move there? You know, or, or you know, what, I, well, I've got my life here. I've got my family here. i got the other thing. We've talked about this revive Eastern Europe, and starting now with next year, we're trying to put together the team for Budapest, Hungary. We want to send 30 people to just infuse and inspire the church in Budapest. Three different ministry couples. We want to send older couples. We want to send campus couples. And we've got till February to come up with the people. And if we don't get them by February, it gets bumped a year. Okay, but we're going to figure out how to do it one way or the other. But the point is, is am I available? Am I willing for something like that? Now, last week I told you I had some pictures. Remember, I forgot to send the new thing to, to the people. This is a couple, Terry and Joanna Trout. This is the couple I was talking for, to you about from Boston. That retired, knew they had to leave New England, the Boston area, because they knew that they could not live there under uh, with their the retirement pay. Terry uh, is a was a school teacher. He was also on the teaching team in the Boston Church of Christ. Uh, he's a Bible scholar and has his education in that area. And they're saying, "Where can we go?" There was a church. In South America. I'm not going to mention which one. Because I think they lost their minds. They said, hey, we would like to come and help your church. And they said, you don't know Spanish? Don't bother. Don't even come. I'm going, have you lost your mind? This is a couple coming. They're going to let us be full time. They don't cost you nothing. <laughs> They're house church leaders. They've been disciples for 30 years. And he's a teacher. You could have figured out something. I would have figured out something for them to do. But they ended up in Odessa, Ukraine. So they, they actually arrived there a, a week or so before I got there last week. And they were going through all the things you got to go through to settle in and stuff. But they said, hey, we're available. Sell our house. Don't I move anyway? Where do we go? I appreciate that. Not everybody's available. But the question is, is if you are, are you willing and I really appreciate these guys' hearts. It wasn't even just Ukraine. It was like, I wanna, I'm willing to go anywhere. And they were, 
examining all different places. What an incredible heart. Now, when you talk about these types of things, the morality and all the different social issues, I am not saying go to work or go to school tomorrow and start blowing everybody's heads off with the Bible. Start challenging everybody and challenging their sin. That's not what I'm talking about. However, when I'm there and God's word is misrepresented, God's righteousness is distorted or twisted. Do I stand up for what I know is right? Do we say anything or do we fall into that trap of saying, maybe now's not the time. I got to pick my battles, which usually means I'm going to wait until more people around that agree with me. And that's an easy conversation to have with myself. Okay. But God's word can get so twisted up. I remember this one time I'm reaching out to this guy. I've been reaching out to him at the gym. We had talked from time to time. So we're sitting down after working out, having a cup of coffee. And we're talking, and this woman comes up behind him. Now, I've seen her at the gym several times before, and there was always just something about her. Uh, you know, she's maybe a little younger than me or whatever, or maybe she's in a lot better shape. I don't know. But uh, I, I stay, I'm staying away from this woman. He's a bit flirtatious. She walks up behind this guy, comes down and nuzzles his neck, takes her hand, drags it up his arm and across his shoulders and walks off. This is that the why, you know? And he looks at her and he's going, whoa. I said, dude, that is trouble right there. That's trouble walking. You know that that ain't right. And he goes, no, yeah, yeah, but the Bible says I can look. doesn't say I can't look. just says I don't need to touch. And I said, you know, the Bible doesn't actually say that. <laughs> Would you like to see what the Bible really says? And the reality of life was he wasn't interested at all in what the Bible had to say. But what a response if we all had that response. We don't have to necessarily blow people's heads off. But if we just throw it, look, would you like to see what the Bible actually says about that? When you're talking to someone at work, when you're talking to someone at school, when you're talking to because sometimes you say people think they know what the Bible says. Because, A, they know what they want to believe, and so they got to justify it somehow, so they figure out, well, this is what God said. You say, you know what, Have you, would you like to see? Because there's something about me saying it. But whoa, there's something about getting out the Bible and saying, but look at this right here. Now it's not you. Now it's Bible, which is what scares most people. <laughs> I they disagree with you, but it's hard to do that. See, we're disciples, right? We want to be like Jesus. We want to grow to be like him, except maybe this part of like him we'd rather not be like. That part where he went through hard times because of what he did and what he said. In 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, Pete said, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself with the, also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. 
As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you spend enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They're surprised that you don't join them in their recklessness, in their wild living, and they heap abuse on you. Have you ever had that heaped abuse simply because you wouldn't join in with the conversation? You wouldn't support the unrighteousness. You wouldn't allow God's word, God's righteousness to be misrepresented. Because they're shocked. And that's true. Even people who quote unquote call themselves Christians were shocked. Sometimes, when you really stand up for righteousness, don't live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but for the will of God. That totally describes Mary's attitude. What did she say? I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. That was Mary's attitude. That was her total heart said, hey, I'll live the rest of my life for the will of God. But in doing so, it will bring abuse. And that's why he said, have the, arm yourself with the same attitude of, I'm going to suffer. But I like to avoid suffering. I don't know if anybody else is with me on that one. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I don't like to rush headlong into it if it can be avoided. <laughs> But what I'm hearing here in the word of God is, is if I'm going to live like a disciple in this day and age and in this world, it really can't be avoided. It's part of the calling. And Jesus himself even said, so this Christmas time, as we think about the little nativity and all of that kind of stuff, and, you know, we watch It's a Wonderful Life that was on last night. We watch the Peanuts and Snoopy Christmas and all of these things, and they're great. But understand that the commitment Mary had to go through to bring us Jesus, just to bring Jesus into the world, was incredible. To stand up for that. And then as we transition now, we're going to talk about communion. And the reason I wanted to do communion with this is this is part of the application of this lesson. Because I want you to think about the commitment Jesus had as he stood for the truth and it cost him his life, but it saved our souls. And think about our lives and say, do I really stand up for the truth at work, at school, when I'm at the gym, when I'm out and about? When Jesus was arrested, he was taken through this kind of a monkey trial, kangaroo court, whatever animal they compare it to, right? Circus. And they were throwing all kinds of charges against him. Matthew 26 is where this is. And they were charging him with this. They said, ah, this guy, he says he's going to tear down the temple and build it again in three days. Jesus says nothing. Well, Jesus said this, this, blah, 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 blah. Jesus says 
nothing. Some people come up and they say, well, I heard Jesus talking about this, and this is what I have. This is my testimony. Jesus says nothing. And I know that Caiaphas and the chief, they're getting frustrated because they want to hang something on this guy. They've been trying to kill him for a while. But they can't engage him yet. And primarily because everything they're talking about is just misrepresentations, twisting. It's going to take a whole lot to straighten all this kind of stuff out. And then Jesus doesn't say anything until they ask Jesus a question he could not keep his mouth shut. And that's in 26, verse 63 through 66. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Moment of truth. What do you do? Just keep your mouth shut like you've been doing. You might be able to get out of this. You might live to preach another day, Jesus. They may not be able to hang. So There might be somebody in this room that's not 100% trying to kill you. And if you don't say anything, you know, crazy, then they might let you go here. What do you do, Jesus? Well, verse 64, you know the answer. Jesus said, yep, you said it. You got that right. He said, but I tell you, from now on, you're going to see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming in the clouds of heaven. Okay. <laughs> then the high priest, I have never seen that somebody except maybe Hulk Hogan get so upset that they just ripped their clothes. Okay. That someone is so hates you so much, they just, and just rip their clothes. And he said, he's spoken blasphemy. We don't need any more witnesses. We don't even need all these other people. Look now, you've heard it. What do you think? And they said, he's worthy of death. Like his mother. Jesus couldn't keep his mouth shut about he, what he knew to be the truth. Again, Mary could have just kept her mouth shut about the whole virgin birth thing. Apologized, repented, rode the storm out, and then it's over. But she knew what was the truth. Jesus could have kept his mouth shut, rode it out. Maybe live to see another day. So when we ask, why did they kill Jesus? It was because he was the Messiah. He was the Son of God. That's why they killed him. They didn't kill him because he was too popular. They didn't kill him because he said he was going to tear down the temple and rebuild it. What they got him on was, you're the Messiah. And Jesus goes, I can't keep my mouth shut. I can't just not say anything. Yes, I am the Messiah. And by the way, you're going to see me sitting at God's right hand. He added that on. When you think about why did Jesus, it was because of the truth. It wasn't any of the false witnesses, the false stories, the lies. They didn't kill him for any of that stuff. They killed him because of the truth. 
Sometimes it's hard to stand up for the truth. So when we take communion this morning, we're going to pray here in just a second, and the ushers are going to hand it out. I want you to think about the cost that Jesus had for standing up for the truth. Standing up for the truth. Yes, we understand he sacrificed and it was for our sins. I'm not taking anything away from that. I'm talking about in that moment, at that point, at that time, he was either I'm going to stand by the truth or I'm just going to, I'm not going to be against the truth. I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. He, he said, I got to speak up. I got to share God's truth regardless of the cost. And then I want us to think about our stand for the truth. Much less dramatic, I think, than Jesus's, but no less real when someone on our campuses, our high school campuses, or universities are blaspheming God, someone in our workplaces are holding up and praising and, and glorifying unrighteousness and ungodliness. And do we even say, do you know what the Bible actually even says about that? Now, you can say, I don't believe the Bible and I can't deal with that. But if you're saying, well, you're a Christian, but you're doing this, do you even know what the Bible says? Do we stand up for God at all? And I want to call us all to use this Christmas and that example of Mary and use this time of remembering the example of Jesus to strengthen us to be available and willing to do whatever to stand up for God's will, God's plan, God's truth, regardless of the consequences, because God deserves that in our lives. Amen. Let's pray and we'll take communion. Father God, the truth, in so many ways we think the truth will always win out, and I guess ultimately it does, but... Sometimes the truth can get us into trouble. Sometimes the truth can cause us pain and hardship and insult. And because of that, God, sometimes we're tempted to, to hold back. We're tempted to, to uh, uh, soften the truth or to shade it just a little bit to keep us from suffering. I pray, God, that as we take communion this morning, let's think of Jesus and how he refused. He flat out could not not speak up that he stood up and said yeah as a matter of fact i am the messiah i am the son of god whether you believe it or not whether you like it or not i am and because of that conviction we are all saved we all have the redemption in his blood we owe our very salvation to jesus's willingness to stand there and take whatever the truth caused him and I pray that we can take that and do nothing less than give him that same commitment back to the truth. To honor it in our lives. To honor your will, your righteousness, your mission, your will for our lives, God. I pray that we will honor that. We'll remember Mary's example. We'll remember Jesus' example. And draw strength from the remembering. I pray in his name. Amen.